0: All right, well, let's get into what we're talking about today. Um, I actually get to bring up a good friend of mine and, and someone that many of you guys know that's going to be sharing today. Um, we're in a series called The Ascent. And, and in that series, we're looking at some, some, uh, some of the Psalms of Ascent, these songs that people would sing as they were heading up the, up the mountain, to, up the hill into Jerusalem, and, and they'd sing these songs of praise to God. Well, there's one psalm in particular that's, that's, that is my favorite and one that really kind of helped establish this church. It's Psalm 133. It says this. It says, It says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured out on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of her mom were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. That, that psalm that they would sing as they were going up to Jerusalem, we caught, Jim and I, my, the, the co-lead pastor with me when we first started Ascent, we, we caught on to that and we said, that's what we want. We want a place where, where people can come together and gather together in unity and gather together wanting to be on this journey that is about Jesus and, and, and ultimately that, that God would, would bless that community. And what happened is God blessed us in, in phenomenal ways right off the bat in 2013. And our church began to really grow. And when it did, Jim and I said, we needed some other people to put their hand on a ball and push that ball up the hill with us. And, and, uh, and so, so we hired Chris Sturgeon out of Menlo Park, California, and said, Chris, will you come and, and help people to take steps to Jesus. And us, at the same time, will you help them to connect with each other? It's a group that's it's a, it's growing and they need to be able to connect with each other. Will you help them to do that? And Chris and Lindsay and their two girls, Nora and Quinn, said, yeah, let's do this. And so they came here and, and they were part of our team. And for the last six and a half years, Chris has faithfully, faithfully served this church and, and, and helped a lot of you to connect with each other and with Jesus. And, and, uh, and so today, we're sell- this is his last Sunday officially on staff. He has, he has gradually stepped in- into part- part-time roles over the last year, and we're going to talk about that today. And we're in, in, uh, and, but this will be his last one on staff up in front. It won't be his last time up in front. I'm going to make sure he continues to come up and preach for us every once in a while. But this will be his last one um, as an official staff person. So Chris, come on up and we can chat a little bit. Before you get started, let's chat for just a okay. second, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Chris, uh, tell when you first came. What was that like when you to six and a half years ago? It was interesting. I remember it being very cold. <laughs> Uh, cold in the uh, state or cold in this building? Well, no. In my previous
1: church, we were able to control the temperature in our buildings. Oh, and, yeah. Heat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when I first got here uh, six and a half years ago, we were, it was a very different stage in the church. We were, we were renting this building. We did yeah. not yet own it. Um, and one of the ways that we would save money, because it's a big building, we didn't want to heat the whole thing, was the whole staff would sit around one table in that glass entryway area because it had the the gas heaters up there. And it was the only warm part of this building. And every time somebody would come in, they'd open that door and the wind would blow everybody's stuff off the table. And we'd all have to chase it around and then it'd be cold again for another three minutes. And then the heat would come back on. And... um, I had, I had left this like 5,000 person, um, 150 year old gigantic church. And so it was different. It was a, it was a different experience. And, and,
0: and we had to put up with all that. It was so cold that we always had to wear sweatshirts or coats and, and, Chris has about 400 Kansas City Chiefs um, <laughs> sweatshirts that he owns. Yeah, um, and and he makes sure that we all know that now this is their fift- fifth. They time played yesterday. The... You guys He's, didn't he's know horrible this. with this. Yeah. He's horrible. Uh-huh. See, my Seahawk love, I keep quiet. I never talk to you uh-huh. guys about it. But his Chiefs love is terrible, especially in Bronco country. So yeah, so we've all had to deal with that. Uh, yeah. Chris, what's what's funny with Chris is is you know after he got started you know, we just said, go for it. And, you know, you, it was a sent you, it was, um, trailhead, trailhead. you, you, you you and some other people wrote a book. We did. We did that. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did, he jumped in and, and did a bunch for us, but the biggest one that he did is he got to know you guys. Um, we would talk about it as a staff and just if there was someone that we said, hey, do you know who that person is? We'd always say, well, Chris will know because Chris knows everybody. Um, and so, so he got, he got <laughs> to know everybody and hundreds and hundreds of people. And we so uh, appreciated how much did, how much you dove in relationally with people. But I know that in the in the last year or two, maybe just last year or so, I know that the Lord. I mean, you, you just started feeling some stirring on your heart, and um, yeah. and you had to kind of sort that out yourself for what might be next. So yeah, a little bit about and that.
1: I'll I'll share a lot of this more in detail uh, when the sermon here begins, but. Um I'm actually I did not know this was going to happen. Um on the screen behind us right here it normally says the name of the person speaking and what their title at the church is. And so it's always said care pastor and it does not say that anymore. Uh if you were to turn around right now um it uh, So awesome. thanks Maggie. That's awesome. Uh, um yeah, th- th- 3 years ago, um like I said I don't want to give away too much of it now. All, all of a sudden I I th- I felt something shifting in me. Um, and what was, what was weird is that, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to be in your late 30s. You've, I've got a wife and two kids and a mortgage, and I've been working kind of my way upward in a career for, you know, a decade and a half and start feel like maybe I may have a new profession coming down the pipe. And that's a terrifying thing, because you're like, how do you start over? Um, I also have a, uh, an undergraduate degree in religious studies. I have a master's in divinity, which is the silliest sounding degree there is. Um, I think that uh, looks really good in uh, other
0: interviews. I, I, yeah,
1: <laughs> I was like, what else am I gonna do? Like, all I know how to do is talk to people, I guess. And um, And so it was a really scary time. Um, and a time of a ton of like uh, prayer and exploration and curiosity and conversations and um, ultimately of trust and faith and um, walking in a direction that I had never expected to walk yeah. um, and it's been it's been quite a journey
0: yeah. it, it's Chris and I were talking about this that it's interesting when when you're in full-time vocational ministries, so doing what we've been doing for really our whole careers. Yeah. Um, when you start, when you think about doing something outside of that, there's, there's, this, there's this worry that you've got, um, one, of what other people would think, Will other people just say, "Wait, I don't get it." You know, you're supposed to be serving Jesus, and now you're just yeah. going to go do real estate. You know, and yeah. and so there's that there's that thought of worrying what other people would say, and then there's the the your own um, thoughts of going, "Gosh, am I mailing in this this call that God's had on my life?" And what am I supposed? Should I should I be doing that? And I've had so much purpose, and now will I have purpose? But what what Chris and I have been talking about is. They're so, it's that's so, it's so uh, incorrect, I think, for us to conclude that, mm-hmm. because what, what I know you want to unpack is, it's not what we do, it's what we do with what we do, and, and mm-hmm. it's, it's that, living with that kind of purpose, and as we kept talking about it, we just thought, you know what, let's, let's celebrate this, and then talk about what does it look like to live with purpose? in whatever you're gonna do in your life. And so Chris, I'm gonna hand it over to you, go get it. All right.
1: <laughs> hey.
0: <laughs> so
1: I'm kind of having a moment here. It's a big moment for me. Um, Cause way back in 2002, I was a sophomore in college at uh, what was at that time called Southwest Missouri State University. It's now Missouri State University. I never know how to tell people I went to college. Um, I did go. and I was on what was called the core team for the campus ministry I was a part of. And what made that campus ministry unique is that it was 100% student led. There was nobody above the age of 22 involved in that ministry at all. And it had a more than 25 year history with complete turnover every four years or you know five for some of you. Um, so, so 2002, I start, I start being on the leadership team at, at uh, this ministry. Um, After I graduated from college, I got this um, year-long full-time internship for a different college ministry called Chi Alpha, and I did that for a year. Uh, Then in 2007, I moved to California and went to seminary, which is like graduate school for pastors. Um, if you've never heard that word before. And um, there I had to have internships, and I worked at a church called Christian Assembly. In 2009, I got married, I finished school. My wife and I moved up to Northern California, where I took my first like big boy job, um, working full-time as a pastor. I was the student minister or the uh, middle school pastor um, at our church up there. Um, I changed several positions at that church. I was there for seven years. In 2016, uh, we are now at that time family of four. Still, still family of four. Um, packed up, we moved to Colorado, and I began working here at Ascent, um, where for the last six and a half years I've had the incredible privilege to be on the staff. Um, and right now, at the end of today, for the first time in 21 years. I will not be holding a leadership position in a ministry. So it's kind of a big moment for me. (laughs) Um, We can actually draw that line backwards a little bit further because in 1998, when I had just, I was a summer after my sophomore year in high school, um, our church was looking for some volunteers to go and be cabin leaders at a camp for the um, older elementary schools and our kid, and I jumped at that opportunity. And as a prelude to telling you that story, today in this sermon, I want to talk about calling. And generally in church, when we talk about calling, we're talking about the process by which God grabs a hold of a life, speaks into it, and calls somebody into ministry. Um, The interesting thing about calling that I learned when I got to seminary is that the vast majority of my fellow students had not had this like seminal moment of calling when the heavens parted and the voice of God spoke through. And in that moment, they knew, but I did. So it was 1998, I'm I'm 16 years old. I'm at this camp. I'd grown up going to this camp, but now I'm a cabin leader working with fourth and fifth grade boys. And something that had never happened began to happen to me. And I was feeling this prompting this kind of inner need to do something. And I didn't know what it was. Um, and I started talking to um, one, of, one of the other teenagers, uh, one of the other kind of cabin leaders, um, a guy named Spencer. And he was, he was experiencing something similar. And so he and I would get together a couple times a day, like in between whatever was going on and talk and pray. And eventually what we decided was happening and what we needed to do is we went to the, the co-directors of the camp who were our two senior pastors and said, hey, we think God is calling us to do something and we would like to take over one of the evening chapel services and we wanna give the sermon. And those idiots said, yes, (laughs) yeah. I was a student ministries pastor for a long time. I cannot imagine turning loose of one of my sermons that I'd spent like so long with the whole, you know, it's five talks and they gotta build and then this happens and, but they let us do it. And even more foolishly, they did not proofread anything we were going to say. And I think back to my first sermon and I shudder. I mean, incredibly developmentally inappropriate for kids that age, highly emotionally manipulative and downright theologically false, right? (laughs) Like it was a mess. And somehow God did something powerful through it. I got to watch as these, these these students, but but not even just the fourth and fifth graders who were there, but some of like my peers and friends who were also cabin leaders, I got to watch God grab a hold of their lives in ways that I have seen played out over decades now. It was this incredible experience. I, it's hard for me to fully go back and it it leads to what is going to be the key theme of everything I'm gonna say today. I'm gonna say this a bunch of times but because I want you to be able to quote it at the end and this is it. This is the theme of our talk. Are you ready? Our lives lived with Jesus are not about what we do for God but about what God will do through the person who will submit. The life lived with Jesus is not about what we do for God, but about what God will do through the person who submits. For the next couple of days of that camp, the, the, the adults in camp, several people pulled me aside or they wrote me a note and they just confirmed that they saw in me gifts to be used for ministry. And that that was an agreement, was something I was feeling internally. And so from that point on, when I was 16 years old, all I have ever planned to do, all I have ever prepared to do was work full-time in vocational ministry. I'm on the, uh, the precipice of my 41st birthday. I'll, I'll turn 41 in a couple weeks here. Um, and since I was 16, this, this has been my only plan. That's... Uh, it's 25 years, 61% of my life. And now I'm on my last day on a church staff. So this is kind of a big moment. We're in the series, Bill mentioned it, and it called The Ascent. And part of what we're trying to get at is this idea that when you live life with Jesus, you are going to be on a journey. And every good journey story has some big moments in it. And so I wanna look right now at a big moment in the story of a guy named Peter, who's gonna become one of the main characters in the New Testament. This story happens um, in the Bible in a book called The Gospel of Luke. It's one of the four kind of stories about the life of Jesus. Chapter five, verses one through 11. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. When he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets." When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to burst. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astounded at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Um, Just one side note, Simon, Peter, same guy. He just had two names. Um, I introduced him as Simon and then only read, or you know what I mean. Uh, Here's the thing, that story is loaded with meaning. There are a ton of things, like depths to be plumbed in that story. I'd really wanna focus on one part, and it's the fishing. See, Peter, Simon, and his partners, they're pros. These are commercial fishermen. This is their job. This is all they do. It is their livelihood. Nobody's better at it than them. And they've been out all night fishing. And you can bet they did it at the perfect time They steered their boat to the perfect place. They've been doing it their whole lives. They threw the nets out and pulled them back in in the perfect way. And they caught absolutely nothing. And now the night is over and they are cleaning these nets, which was this necessary evil. They had to do this. Otherwise the nets would break down. Their livelihood would be lost. It's a painstaking job. And I imagine they're just about done. They can finally go home, lay their head on the pillow, close their tired eyes. And Jesus says, hey, let's go out to the deep water and toss the nets in again. Well, As we understand it, Jesus was probably trained as a carpenter, um, not a fisherman. So can you imagine what the exhausted, frustrated, commercial fisherman who's caught nothing is thinking in this moment? right? I go to imagine if it's me, I'm going to be like, listen, bro, I won't tell you how to swing a hammer. How about you don't tell me how to catch a fish? But that's, that's not what Peter does. Jesus has told him to do something that makes no sense. Strategically, this is the wrong tactic. But what Peter says is, you know what? We worked so hard all night long. We didn't catch anything. But because it's you saying it, I'll do it. Here's what Peter has done and what I think I know I have to learn from it and I hope all of us can, and it's this. He does three things. He puts himself within earshot of Jesus. He puts, him in a, he puts himself in a place where he can hear Jesus. Number two, he doesn't just hear him. He's really listening, really trying to take it in. And number three, he submits to what he hears. He's the expert, this is not how to catch fish. But Jesus said to do it and he submits his expertise and does as he hears. And that is when the miracle happens. Not because of all of his great ideas, simply because of a willingness to be within a place where you could hear, to truly listen and to submit what he heard. It puts us right back into that key theme that I mentioned earlier. Our life with Jesus is not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what God will do through the person willing to submit. So way, 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 way back in history in 2019 BC, that's before COVID. You guys remember that glorious time? Um in 2019 BC, my wife and I celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary, and we were given what remains one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given in my life. My mother and father-in-law agreed to take our children for 10 days. Yeah. So we went on a trip. It was amazing. At that time, uh, there are differences in opinion. We, we had not been away from, from our, our kids since the first one was born for more than a single night. We did remember one trip. Maybe it's two nights, but you get the, you get the drift, right? Uh, we had young children, they consumed our life, and all of a sudden we were given 10 days. It's amazing. So we go on this trip, we're having a great time, we're a couple days in, and we go on a hike, and we're on this hike and we're just chatting, you know, the way you chat when you've slept through the night more than two nights in a row and didn't have a single fight about putting socks on, right? So we're having that kind of conversation. And I asked my wife, Lindsay. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, is a mental health counselor. She's in private practice. And I say, hey, hon, do you think you'll always kind of do what you do now, just kind of be in private practice, kind of one-person shop? And, and she says, you know, I think I will. And, She began to explain what she likes about her job and what some of the hard parts are, but how it fits our lifestyle. And and we were having a great conversation. And as tends to happen in conversations, I had asked this question, we had discussed it fully, and then she asked me the same question. She said, do you think you'll always do what you do? And I go, no. And honestly, I, I surprised myself at how quickly I answered it. I was like, wow, that just like really came out. And then I had like six more days to just continue to, to have space and time and life to explore that, to pray about that, to journal about that, to have deep, deep, long conversations with my wife about it. Um, it was a really tremendous thing, the way that like the haze of life cleared on this trip. And um, at the end of it, I bought this journal, which I was going to bring up here, and I, I totally left it in my car. I would have actually shown it to you. It's, it's yellow. Um, and, but I made a list in it, right? I made some commitments to myself. About how I was going to continue to explore the way I answered that question. Some, some, and it has check boxes and things. And so these are some of the things that I wrote down that I needed to do uh, when I got home to continue um, kind of this journey that I was on. I set up some meetings and I talked um, with some people about what it would look like and take for me to get what's called a doctorate of ministry, which is you know kind of another degree. What kind of doors would that have opened for me? Where could that go? What would that experience be like? Um, I set up some meetings and I talked to folks about seeking what's called ordination within the church um, that would have you know opened doors for me to maybe go become a lead pastor somewhere else um, I began to research and talk to people about what if I kind of set up my own little practice doing some like mentoring and coaching and counseling um, I explored like, setting up a website and what it would look like for me to try to travel around and speak at events and conferences and gatherings more. Um, I had served at this large church in the Silicon Valley for a long time, so I have like, a big relational network in the tech industry, and I was like, Should I, I'll call some of those people. Like, would there be a job in, in that world for me? And I began to explore what it would look like to get into real estate. Which is something I'd been deeply interested in for a really long time. Um, so, all of these things I was doing, I completely, I, I, I read quite a bit, and I completely changed the books that I read. I realized that for about a decade, I had only read books about theology and ministry. And so, I started reading books about Business and finance and psychology about self-management. I began to really explore the enneagram and understanding a little bit more about how I was wired and made. And it was this incredible time of of expansion and refinement for me, right? So I would explore ideas, and then my list would shrink as I marked things off and said, "You know, not going to do that." And then I would lean further into what remained and and then new tasks would appear where I could explore more in that way. Um, And this went on for months. This was many, many months of this and still just not knowing what was coming for me. Um, But one thing that I did every day, this was a regular part of my rhythm, um, in, in the COVID days when we were doing all video sermons, we did one actually in my house where I talked about what my morning routine looked like. So I would get up early. I was always the first one up in our house and I would go down and I would sit in the same little recliner in our home office and I would light the same little candle because I'm like that. And um, I would read the Bible and I would pray and I would journal out gratitudes and I would ask God, like, what is next for me? And I kept doing that. And I realize now that I was kind of doing three things. I was putting myself within earshot of Jesus. I was, I was engaging in the kind of activities that helped me to hear Jesus's voice. I was really listening. I was really eager <laughs> to have some direction show up in my life. And I was submitting to what I heard. I was doing two things. I was putting myself in earshot of Jesus, and I was really listening. That submitting part, that's a lot harder. That was, that was the hard part. Because, see, as I was working through that prof- process, I knew, I knew from the beginning that, like, my vocational future was not in full-time church work. I've known that for more than three years. Um, It then became pretty clear to me that that my vocational future actually was going to be in helping people to buy and sell homes, of stepping in as a guide and a mentor and a friend in that process. Um, In that process, I, I thought a lot about the woman who we worked with when we moved here from California to buy our home, who is an absolute saint amazing lady named Janet. And you know, we were in California and we're trying to buy a house in Colorado. I don't know if you've heard this. There are some things that are challenging about the Colorado real estate market. You probably don't know that. Um, we're like freaking out. And she was more a counselor and friend, honestly, than she was an agent and a fiduciary. She would walk us off the ledge when we were ready to freak out. She helped us find a place that has fit our family needs perfectly. It was a tremendous experience working with somebody who I knew without a doubt cared about me and what was in my best interest. And as I reflected on that, I started to realize, gosh, in this job, the things that I have loved best about being a pastor are things that I can do. That's what I will continue doing in this role. One of the most shaping moments of my ministry career uh, was when I was still serving at this church in California. And I was a student ministries pastor there. I'd started as a middle school pastor. And then my job had grown to take over the middle school and the high school program. And um, we'd been at at summer camp. Uh, Big things happened in my life at camp, apparently. Um, And we're coming back and... Here's the thing, um, teenagers make really great decisions about sleep at summer camp. And so all of them are asleep on the bus because they hadn't slept for the week previous. And so I'm sitting on the front of this bus and I'm looking back at all of these young men and women. They were all, uh, this bus was all juniors and seniors. So they're like 17, 18 years old. And I've known every one of them since they were sixth graders. And I'm looking at them and I'm just thinking, this is what got impressed on my heart. It's like, gosh, what an incredible privilege that all of these young people invited me to be a person of influence in their life in these formative years when they were making huge decisions about who they were going to be for the rest of their lives they let me be a part of their life and that is this incredible honor and privilege that I still feel today and that's what I do now still Because for most of us, buying a home is the single largest financial decision that we make in our life. And people invite me to help, to be a person of influence, to be somebody that they can trust, to look out for their best interest and walk through that process that can be overwhelming, can be scary, and where the stakes are very high and a lot can go wrong. What an incredible privilege. I feel that with everybody I've worked with. And so I knew that this was what the future held for me. I knew that, you know, the page was turning, that the chapters were changing in my life. I had been putting myself within earshot of Jesus. I'd been listening really hard. And then I waited for three years. Three years is a long time, right? So for three years, I did both jobs. I continued working here and I was helping people buy and sell homes. And at first it was much more manageable because I wasn't helping a lot of people buy and sell homes. But as that business grew, it got to the point where I was working two full-time jobs all the time, and I was drowning. And I just couldn't walk away. And finally, Jesus stopped whispering and he shouted in my ear. And it happened like this. Uh, I lead a men's Bible study on Tuesday mornings from 7 to 8. Uh, I will continue leading that. Um, so, uh, you know, 7 to 8, come join us. We'd love to have you. Um, and we were reading the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And there's this verse where Jesus says something that's oft quoted. You've heard it in one form or another. He said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet lose their life? or soul, it's the same word in Greek. And I have heard that verse a million times, and I've always thought, you know, gain the whole world, well, what's that mean? That means money, power, success. It means those things. But our conversation that day turned to, what are the things in your life that actually you pursue to the detriment of where God may be calling you? And as we talked, I realized, man, it's not money, power, success for me, it's approval. I have a deep desire to never disappoint anybody. And the thought of sitting down in front of Beth, our exec pastor who was my supervisor and saying, I can't do this anymore. I gotta, I gotta let this go. I couldn't do it. That, that's what was keeping me there. And so finally Jesus raised his voice. I got the message um, and I knew it was time to make a change. I realized that if I was actually going to submit to the leading of God in my life, I had to actually lay something down instead of trying to carry everything, which if you recall in that story is what Peter had to do. See, Peter's in the boat, he throws the net, he does what Jesus says. They pull up so many, it's almost sinking their boat. They row back to shore and the last line I read, Peter and his partners, James and John, they left everything behind. Sometimes to truly submit means you can't do it all. And I couldn't do it all anymore. So we're now gonna, this is the conclusion chapter of this talk and in a sense of a particular chapter of my life. And, and I want to say, I do recognize there is a hint of irony in the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm reading a story from the Bible about being somebody called out of industry and into full-time ministry to try to make sense of my movement out of full-time ministry and into industry. It's not lost on me. You're not the only one who gets that. But I believe to at the core of my being that tomorrow I will be living just as much a life of ministry as I am today. And I believe that to be true for every one of us in this room right now. Um, Jesus's call on our lives is individual. It's not in mass. There is not one best way to serve Jesus, that we are all like ranked on who got the closest to it. See, Peter, he did what Jesus told him to do, he listened right? And Jesus said, hey, come with me. From now on, you're going to fish for people. But the reason they were in the boat in the first place is because there was a giant crowd there listening, right? And there wasn't enough space. Jesus didn't tell any of those people, you're going to come with me and fish for people too. They had something different. There are other stories in the Bible. Um, there's, a, there's a guy Um, who he's possessed by all these demons, right? And Jesus casts them out and he heals them. And this guy begs Jesus, let me come with you. Let me be one of your followers. And Jesus says, no, I need you to stay here. And I need you to tell everyone in your community what God has done for you. It's a different call. There's another guy who comes and he says, Jesus, uh, for my entire life, I've tried to do everything that the law requires of me. I've done this and this and this and this and this. Have I missed anything? And Jesus says, you know what, you have. You've done all of those things, but you're missing just one thing. I need you to go and sell everything you have and then follow me. Jesus didn't tell anybody else to do that, but he told that guy too. It's individual. In identical situations, God will call you to do something different than God will call me to do. We have one job, and it's to Put ourselves in earshot of Jesus, to listen to what he's saying, and when we hear it, to submit and obey. I, I find, like, doing that I have to stay a lot more alert now than I used to, but I actually always should have been. Uh, When you work full-time in church, for me at least, I'm I'm sure this isn't true for anyone else who's ever worked full-time in ministry, Um, I had a tendency to slip into autopilot, kind of having the idea that, well, whatever I'm working on must be the right thing and holy and in line with the Holy Spirit because I'm at church Um, And I would slip into relying on my past experience, the last book I read, whatever plans or strategies I had made, instead of really leaning hard into making sure I was putting myself in a place where I could hear Jesus, listening as hard as I could and obeying whatever I heard. And my new job, I have no illusions, right? And it actually draws me into that process, which I believe is the basic process of all discipleship, of the whole life with Jesus, so much more often. This series is about being on a journey with Jesus in this life. And whether you wanna say it like journeying with Jesus or living your life on mission or following the will of God, I think we're talking about the same thing, all of it. However we say it, I think it means one thing and one thing only. And I think it means putting our faith in Jesus. But that phrase doesn't mean what we probably think it means. See, it's not about what we believe. It's not about what thoughts or things that you think are true in your head. It's not about saying that, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he he died a death in atonement for my sins, that he raised. It's not about that. It's about listening and doing, trusting and following, even when it doesn't make sense. And maybe especially when it doesn't make sense. See, when it doesn't make sense, that's the only time that demands trust and submission. It's not that hard to make a choice that makes perfect sense. That's easy for all of us. It didn't make sense for Peter to drop those nets again. He was so close to them being cleaned and done. It made even less sense for him to leave his boat, his nets, and all of his fish on the shore. It didn't make sense. But he trusted Jesus. He submitted to what he heard, and he obeyed but listen, he never could have done that if he hadn't been listening. And he couldn't have been listening if he hadn't intentionally put himself in a place where he could hear the person who was speaking to him. So for me to follow Jesus, to live in ministry, to be in the will of God, for me, that meant walking away from my salary at a church. And it meant helping people buy and sell homes. But I believe this. I believe that my current calling is just as high and holy as my former. And it's not because of anything intrinsic to either of those jobs. It's because I think I'm where God would have me be. And when I'm in that place, that is when I'm in the right place. It's that key theme again. It's not about what I can do for Jesus. It's about what I believe God is going to do through me when I submit. And believing that that is above and beyond and better than anything else I could do. And so listen, for all of us in this room, you know, if you are an accountant or a recruiter or a financial planner or a retiree, if you're a historian or a nurse or an educator, if you work for the utility company, if you're a property manager, if you work here at the church, Whatever you do, if you work in the tech industry, if you're a salesperson, if you're an account manager, if you're a therapist, if you're a doctor, if you're a mechanic, if you're an electrician, if you're a plumber, you don't need to worry about what you need to do for Jesus. If Jesus is who we say, who we think Jesus is, he doesn't actually need you to do anything for him. He can handle it. We Just have to do three things. We have to put ourselves within earshot of Jesus. However that works for you. For me, it's the same seat in my office. Maybe it's that great video John did. All the things that they're putting together. If you haven't met John, he has a a line item in his budget to take you to lunch. Take him up on that. Um, That guy's great. Uh, be a part of a circle, be a part of a core group, be a part of a Bible study, go on a walk with a friend who feeds your soul, do whatever it is, it's different for everybody, I don't care what it is for you, just do it. Put yourself in a place where you can hear from Jesus and while you're there, listen hard. The men's Bible study on Tuesdays, I've started the same way every time we have ever met and I started by saying this way, listen, we're not here to, to get merit badges We're not here to earn Bible study points. There's only one reason it's worth your time to read the Bible and that is to be changed by it. So as we read and discuss today, be listening for where that opportunity might be for you to be transformed and to walk away different because you are here. Listen, put yourself in a place to hear, listen as hard as you can and then obey. Do what you hear. That's the whole life with Jesus distilled into three steps. And while, listen, I, I make no promises that it's going to make your life easier, it's not going to spare you from hardships and heartache, that's still going to come, but I do believe that it will make your life better. Not easier, but more abundant. Recently, my wife um, shared with me a conversation that she had just like a week ago with a friend here at church. And her friend asked her, she said, Lindsay, how are you feeling about Chris. Stepping off staff. And Lindsay shared her answer with me. She said, she said to her friend, she said, you know, Amy, I feel like I'm finally married to the version of Chris I've always wanted to be married to. And listen, not because I was some disaster, horrible husband, right? Like, that wasn't a criticism for me. But she said, it's more like seeing you go from 70% to 90% more alive. She said, Chris, you bring more energy and joy to our house. You're more curious. You ask more questions. You, you are more present. You are this, a fuller version of yourself. Plenty of stuff still goes wrong in our life, but I feel more myself than I have in an incredibly long time because I believe that every person was made to be in relationship with Jesus and only in being in relationship with Jesus, do we fully experience all of who we were made to be? So let me just say, it's been such an amazing honor and privilege over the last six and a half years to, to be on this staff, to serve with and alongside all of you as a pastor. And I'm just so, so grateful. Thank you for letting me do it. It's also not lost on me what an incredibly rare thing it is that I get to step off staff and not leave this community. None of my friends who I've seen leave ministry in all the years I've been doing this have had this privilege and I feel so privileged to have it. And I just can't wait to continue to see all that Jesus is going to do through each of us as we put ourselves in earshot of Jesus, as we listen hard to what he's saying and as we seek to submit and obey. So in most circumstances, When a person leaves staff at a church and they give their last sermon, they end it with a goodbye. Um, And so with the absolute depth of joy, I love that I'm gonna close this talk by saying I will see you next week.
0: Is, uh, is lindsay in the in the girls in the room are Lindsay and the girls in the room oh yeah they they 're good good come on up, Lindsay and the girls. I want to pray for you guys um, you guys when when someone is on staff, their entire family is is on staff and, and they um, to get to know the girls and, and lindsay and, um, and and then for their sacrifice i mean I know that Christmases have been, your dad's been at work, and Easter's your dad's been at work, and um, uh, just it's late nights, early mornings, and... and I, I love it that you guys get some extra quality time with him now, um, but we so appreciate the sacrifice you've all made um, for the last six and a half years. So it's been, a, it's been such a privilege and a pleasure to get to know the whole fam. Um, we've got something for you. Where is it at? Okay, here you go. We got something for you. Gosh, they're all, they're all in stuff. So we got, we got a Kansas City Chiefs sweatshirt because you guys have don't own Kansas City Chiefs sweatshirts. Um, we got you guys hats. Wow! Uh, wow. <laughs> so you got to put your hat on. There you go. And then, and then, and then, we got you. Um, we couldn't get you Super Bowl tickets, um, so we just got you possibly uh, enough money to buy a plane ticket to at least get to Kansas City, so you guys can all watch the Chiefs and Bills, or the Chiefs or the Bills and uh, somebody else play in the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> so. So let, let's pray for these guys, and then, we'll, and then uh, we'll sing one last song together. God, we are so thankful for the Sturgeon family. I'm thankful for the friendship, and I'm thankful for the, um, the, the shared work together. And I'm, sh- I'm thankful for the, 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 the investment that, that Chris and Lindsay and Nora and Quinn made for all of us. Um, I'm, and I'm thankful that, just like he said, we're going to see him next week, and that he's still a part of this. And he still will lead, and he'll still speak to us, and you will still lay words on his heart that he gets to share with other people. Um, I'm thankful that we get to see Nora and Quinn running around around here, and uh, and I just I'm thankful for six and a half really good years, and I pray that you would bless this next stage for their life. I pray that 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 um, he'd sell homes, and I pray that, uh, that 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 people would use him to do that and that that they would be blessed because he gets to walk with them. And and uh, and I pray for every single person that's in this room that tomorrow morning wakes up to their jobs. And I pray that they would seek you out and know that they have purpose because of you. And, uh, and that may we each live our life that way. So we thank you so much for this family. It's in your name we pray. Amen.